Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is episode number 15. Your coach, Helen Yuskovic. Welcome to your coach, Helen Yuskovic. That's me. I am now your virtual coach. I am what you call a professional life student. I've discovered firsthand that heartbreak will happen. Health issues do arise, but being successful doesn't ever need to be compromised. Once a week, I will be your virtual coach feeding you the juiciest knowledge that you can use to live your best life, no matter what gets thrown your way. Shall we begin? P.S. To ensure that you never miss your session, hit subscribe on your podcast app now. Wowee, welcome to episode number 15. I've got a really special guest here today and her name is Michelle Diasinos. And before I get started, I just want to say thank you for listening. I am still trying to learn how to get this recording right. So please excuse any recording mishaps. (laughs) And let me read the review of the week. And that review is titled A True Inspiration. And that is by Blue Shell. She says, so great to hear Helen in your ears. She is a wealth of knowledge and cares so much for each and every person she interacts with. First episode was fantastic and one that I'll be listening to again as I sit down and write my goals for 2020. If you haven't heard that episode, be sure to listen to it. It is super amazing at setting up your year if you haven't done so yet. Now, I have a parent coach here today, Michelle Diasinos. Let me just tell you a little bit about her. Michelle is a parent coach and she is an advocate for the conscious parenthood movement. How cool is that? Conscious parenting. Now, Michelle holds space for mothers as they journey towards bringing more presence, more playfulness and peace to one of life's most sacred works. 
that's why I wanted to get her on here today because I know I have a few parents listening. Now, Michelle hosts the Conscious Parent Podcast where she shares approaches on how to parent more consciously. She she shares, she sells seashells by the seashore. (laughs) She shares personal insights on her own parenting journey and unique, inspiring stories from parents who are striving to live boldly in their fullest expression while illuminating the path for our next generation. She does live here in Sydney with her husband, Phil, and her children, Leo and Eva, who I have had the pleasure of meeting because if you don't know, Michelle is the daughter-in-law of one of my clients. And I started speaking to my client, Angela, one day, and she was telling me that her daughter-in-law is a parent coach and my eyes just nearly fell out of my head. And I was like, what do you mean? She needs to come onto my podcast because I get parents you know asking for help all the time or you know just telling me all of their frustrations their concerns and their stresses so let me just quickly tell you what we're going to chat about today we are going to chat about exactly what a parent coach is Michelle's also going to explain what strong arming is and how it is so easily done as a parent strong arming is something that we don't really want to be doing We're also going to be talking about how avoiding strong arming can positively affect your relationship with your child. So if your relationship with your child is concerning you currently, this is going to be an eye-opener for you. We are going to talk about what the hell conscious parenting is. We're also going to talk about conscious parenting and why it is required. And then we're going to delve into unconscious parenting and the causes of that. We also go deeper as we chat about reversing unconscious parenting because it is so easily done, guys. I don't want you to feel disheartened when you're listening to this. This is all just information for you on how to help you with your parenting journey. Like we don't have a manual, but now we have people like Michelle. We're also going to talk about some of the traps that parents fall into when it comes to conditional love. Yes, conditional love. I was blown away by this because... It happens so often. Now, we're also going to chat about why you shouldn't lose your cool when your child asks the same question a million times. We go through a script of problem solving with your child when it comes to discipline. So I really wanted to just hand you the tools and Michelle has done just that for you today. And Michelle will also give us a very, very powerful tactic that reveals our own expectations for our child and how we are shaping them. When she told me this, I was just so blown away because every parent should do this. We also chat about, you know, that child that wants a lolly in the morning, maybe at the shops in front of the whole supermarket and how to handle that situation. (laughs) We also talk about the big no-no when it comes to disciplining your child and why we discipline the way that we do. Michelle will give us a guide on how to discipline your child. We also talk about what happens when you bribe your child and how to get your child off technology calmly. Yes, there is a way. We also talk about anxiety in primary age children. And Michelle so kindly gives us a strategy that you can use as a parent to help your child. Oh, there is so much more, but I had to stop it there. So get ready, turn it up, and here we 
go. So Michelle, welcome to the show. Now, before we dive into this episode, because I have a million and one questions, as do lots of the people that have sent in questions, I want to know how many hours of sleep you got last night. Oh, Helen, it was woeful. <laughs> I got, I had about four hours of sleep last night. How old are your children? I have a three-year-old and a nearly one-year-old. And which one was keeping you up? Mostly the one-year-old. She's going through some big brain changes at the moment. So we're waking up quite frequently, but we're rolling with it. It's completely fine. <laughs> so amazing. I am yet to be a parent. So the questions that I have for you do come from a perspective of someone that doesn't have a parent. However, all of my friends have children. So let's just start with this first question. What is a parent coach and how did you become one? Helen, this is such a great question because I think there's quite a misconception around what parent coaching is. And parenting can be a really touchy topic because it's so personal. And yet people are always looking outside of themselves to find that next tip, trick, hack, strategy to get their children to listen to them. What I want to say to our listeners is that a parent coach is someone who really holds space for parents as they're working through some of those challenging moments and working through some really big feelings and also really helping parents to work through and heal wounds from childhood. And something that I'm really passionate about in parent coaching is helping parents find an inner compass. So parenting in a way that feels good or feels right or is aligned with, with our core values. And I think another misconception about parent coaching is that it's about teaching the parents to get their children to change in some way, whether it's through their behaviours or through their skills. But what it really is, what it actually is to me and what I love about it is that it's really focused on the transformation of the parent and the transformation of the relationship between the parent and their child. I'd also like to mention that parent coaching is not therapy. We, we are, yeah, <laughs> I happen to be a health professional, but my, my practice focuses on coaching. Uh, but in New South Wales, we don't, it, we don't need a referral to see a psychologist. So if you are feeling like yourself or your child needs that extra support, I would always recommend heading over to see a psychologist for a consultation. If you'd like to utilize a mental health treatment plan so that you can claim rebates, then I would go and see my GP first. But that's just a little note that I wanted to add in there. Sounds like you've had experience with that, like someone's come in to see you and it's just been a topic that's sort of out of your scope and you're like, whoa, yeah, I'm a parent coach, not a therapist. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really, it comes down to what serves our client best. We don't ever want to tell our client that we can do something for them that we can't. And it's just about directing our client to what serves them best in that moment. And so the next part of your question, what led me to become a parent coach was, as I mentioned before, I've previously worked as a teacher and an occupational therapist. And so I'm no stranger to children and, and parenting. My work at that time really focused a lot on helping parents come up with strategies for their children's challenging behaviours and to work on developing skills. So I didn't have that many expectations heading into parenthood. But I felt that I was somewhat armed with some concrete strategies that I could, that I could use. Well, then I had a child. <laughs> and that was a very interesting experience. And 
what I felt with my son, he was just, he was and is a very spirited child, very strong-willed, persistent. And despite being very intentional in my parenting choices and actions, and I'm really lucky that my husband, Phil and I, we do focus a lot on this and we talk about this and we're really on the same page. What I found that despite being intentional and using all these positive behavior strategies that I had learned through my professional work and despite knowing that a lot of these behaviors are developmentally appropriate for our children at the age at which we have them, I was just feeling so angry all the time. I was feeling really angry. I was yelling. I was strong arming. I was trying to control my son. I was using external rewards. And I just noticed this pattern happening where I would be calm. I'd be able to use those really great strategies, be calm, calm, calm. And then all of a sudden, the fifth time that I had to say something, I was exploding. And while these moments of control were really effective, they didn't feel good. And I was concerned about the inconsistency in my responses and how confusing this must be for my small child. Wow. What is strong arming? Strong arming, what I mean by that is really trying to control our child and back them into a corner with our words or with our actions so that they really feel like they have no other choice but to comply with us and to follow our quote unquote command. So from this came this recognition that I didn't want to use this traditional mainstream way of parenting. It didn't align with my values. And discovering conscious parenting myself and working through it allowed me to heal my past. It allows me to connect with my children. It really allows me to show up as my highest self so that I can support my children to be their most authentic self and show up that way myself. So my mission today is really to help parents create those peaceful, playful, present homes that they crave through raising their consciousness because I truly, truly believe that a peaceful home is where a peaceful world begins. So true. Do you know when parent coaching first came about? Because when I was a child, there was no parent coaching and I wish there was. (laughs) When did parent coaching start coming out into the woodworks? (laughs) This is an interesting question. I definitely think that it has become more popular with the rise of coaching in general. Yeah. And in terms of conscious parenting, I think elements have existed of it in history through mindfulness practice, for example, through Eastern philosophy, but the term conscious parenting itself is really associated with Dr. Shefali Sabri, who wrote The Conscious Parent. And that's a really interesting comment. I have to say that it's a very uh, interesting world to navigate now as a parent coach, as a person who's a parent, who is an imperfect parent, because we are all fallible. We are people, right? We're human. And I think we do get met with a resistance from other people around us, but also from the generations before, because I think sometimes that the generations before might perceive this as a commentary on on their parenting skills. I feel like my parents needed a parent coach. (laughs) But can we talk about what is conscious parenting? Like when did conscious parenthood become a thing and what does it mean? Well, 
conscious parenting is really us, the parent, accepting the invitation from our children to grow, to awaken, to evolve. And conscious parenting is not so much a set of rules, you know, not a set of strict rules. It's really about beliefs about what our children need to grow into their most authentic self and tools that we can use to help them get there. So what I personally really love about conscious parenting is that it views challenges in parenthood as opportunities to grow, as opportunities for us to heal ourselves and heal our lineage and really break those generational patterns. And essentially, it enables us to raise ourselves, raise our inner child, raise our consciousness as we raise our children who are our next generation. When do children require conscious parenting? At what age? Oh, this is a great question, Helen. All the time, from the beginning of time. (laughs) I'm not a parent, so you're preparing me to become the most conscious parent ever. (laughs) Oh, well, here's the thing about that. We're always working towards uh, being a more conscious parent and... It takes, it takes time. It takes practice. It is a practice. It's a mindset. It's an approach. It's a way of thinking. And it's really grounded in the principles of mutual respect and empathy and non-judgment and really acknowledging the human need for connection and, and getting all of our needs met in a family, not just our children's, our own as well. And I will say this though, our children most require us to parent consciously when it is those tough moments, when those challenges arise when they are feeling those big feelings like say anger or frustration or jealousy, sadness, embarrassment, and they need us to show up more consciously when we are feeling those big feelings too, those same big feelings, things that overwhelm us, you know, they might show up in our life. We might see them as tantrums, yelling, door slamming, saying, I hate you, back chatting, all that kind of thing. But conscious parenting is helpful for us to attune to our children and to help them build that self-awareness and those skills to really navigate those big feelings. Yeah, I I do hear all the time parents feeling guilty about lashing out because they're so tired, Mm -hmm. exhausted, and then they just have this enormous amount of guilt. And it's like there was a moment of a lack of consciousness. (laughs) Yeah. And I'd like to say that I experienced those too. You know, we're doing, we're all doing the work together. We work through this together. Michelle, it's time for a curveball. Are you ready to play? Ooh, I'm so ready. Okay. Hit me with it. (laughs) What is something that most people don't know about you? The first thing that uh, came into my mind is that I'm a sensory seeker. So I really love deep massages. And sometimes when I'm going to sleep at night, I really, this may sound a bit weird, but I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> I rub my feet together because it calms me and I, it helps me get ready for sleep. So no, I don't think there might be one person who would know that about me to be my husband. <laughs> I mean, I rub my feet together when I'm cold and in winter so I can get warm. <laughs> I do massage. You must come past and I'll give you a nice deep tissue massage. Ooh, that sounds wonderful, Helen. Can't wait. Let's get back to it. Can you, Michelle, please give us an example of unconscious parenting? Can you elaborate on what exactly causes that? Yeah, absolutely. This question kind of makes me laugh inside a little bit because sometimes when my husband and I might do something in parenting, which we're not, you know, doesn't feel that good. My husband will go, well, that was unconscious parenting and we'll have a little laugh about it. So... (laughs) What, how, I, how I like to think of it or refer to it is as traditional or mainstream parenting. An example of this is really where we are trying, as a parent, we're trying to exert 
a power or a dominance over our children. What causes this is, is our fear. It's our ego taking the lead. Some examples that I have just to, just to make things a bit more concrete is in situations where we're trying to control our children. So whether that be physical control or perhaps we're trying to manipulate the behavior by using external rewards or bribes, or we might be punishing them or threatening them or shaming them. I hate that. Another example is using conditional love. And this one is a bit of a trap to fall into because I think it emerges from that, those generational patterns. So it might be comments like only good boys get presents from Santa that communicates to our children. Only when you're listening to me, do I love you? And that's a really interesting one to find yourself caught in. It's common. I hear it too. Sometimes I can feel the words start bubbling out of my mouth when I'm really triggered in a moment. And I think, well, Michelle, you got to stop yourself there. <laughs> and other, other ex- instances or examples are when we enforce discipline without explanation, that real, because I said so kind of mentality. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't offer our children an explanation um, they're intelligent little beings. But they don't understand, like, why is my parent telling me this? I just have to listen. I love explaining to children the reasons why anything is happening. I'm constantly, I love explaining that process to my friends' kids and all of that sort of stuff. Because sometimes, you know what I think it is, Michelle? I think parents have said it once and then if it has to get enforced again, they just don't bother with the explanation because they might be tired. Yeah, absolutely. Exhausted. (laughs) That's a really interesting point. So my three-year-old son, he's in the depths of asking why, you know, like going seven levels deep with his why questions at the moment. And it's just, it's fascinating. But you're right to say it gets exhausting sometimes especially when we've answered the question, you know, several hundred times so, <laughs> or several times. One of my friends actually said to me that she did some reading and found that sometimes at that age, our children are actually wanting to communicate with us and in, engage in a conversation with us, but they don't have the skills yet to do that. And so that might be a way in which they're getting us to converse with them. But, they, you know, it, it could be a plethora of things that lead to that why question. But I love knowing that you take the time to do that, Helen. I love it. And I think the parents, when I have their child, are like, yes, Helen, you deal with that. Enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) But I do, I love, um, well, I'm I'm a coach too. I just love when people grow and learn. And I I think of kids as this really intelligent being. I don't see them as like younger than me or, you know, less intelligent than me. I think we're all the same and they've got stuff to teach us and we can learn so much of children if we just drop that ego a little bit. I absolutely love that, Helen. You couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Definitely. We, it's really uh, acknowledging that our children come to us as a sovereign being already. And despite being smaller than us, we, we both deserve respect and they are our greatest teachers. They can teach us way more than we could ever teach them. Play, our sense of imagination. Absolutely. Now, is unconscious parenting <laughs> reversible? <laughs> well, the good news is, Helen, it's never too late to start parenting consciously. And I have seen the effects of this just be really dramatic. Um, some things can happen really quickly, but I also would like to remind parents that it's a process. It takes time. 
it takes time for us to get it in a way that feels right to us. And it takes time for our children to receive it. And just because we're not seeing our children act a certain way or behave a certain way does not mean that there is some serious stuff going on underneath the surface. And I think when we make that paradigm shift ourselves, when we start to really step into being more conscious, our children feel that on an energetic level. I think that one of the most common things and one of the biggest things and the reason why we see such immense shifts so quickly sometimes is because our children finally feel heard. They finally have their needs met and so do we. And there's a really powerful approach because I, as I've said before, as, as we've been discussing in this conversation, parents get tired, parents get exhausted. We can't show up as our best selves sometimes because of the logistics of the day or like, you know, example, I had four hours of sleep last night. Today may not be a day where I'll be able to face challenges as well as usual. And there's a really powerful approach by Daniel Siegel and it's, it's called rupture and repair. And It's really about modeling after a rupture occurs, how we can work through that. And that an example of that is modeling an apology. And then I might, I might explain what it is and then I'll I'll give a verbal example. So we model an apology. We share our feelings with our child. We ask our child what their feelings are. We explore any unmet needs that anyone has around the situation that's occurred. And then we explore a solution and really recommit to a family value. So in conversation form, it would look a bit like, I'm sorry that I yelled at you before when I wanted you to get off Fortnite. I was feeling really frustrated because it was bedtime. It's time for you to go to bed. And in our family, it's really important to us to be healthy and having good sleep is part of being healthy. Can you share with me what you were feeling? And that's an opportunity for our child to to identify their emotions. And if they have a tricky time with that, we can really help them. We can probe. We can say, were you feeling angry? Were you feeling sad? Where in your body were you feeling it? And then we can say something like, I really needed you to follow our bedtime routine tonight. And you really needed mummy to hear you. And you really needed another two minutes on Fortnite so that you could finish wrapping up your game with your friends. So what's something we can do next time so this doesn't happen again? Let's problem solve this together. And that's just a perfect platform for us to engage in that conversation. And you'd be so surprised. You know, children, as you said before, are very intelligent little beings. And I did this exercise with my two-year-old son and he came up with some really interesting things diving into his mind around anger. So Probably something better than you could have come up with, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. in their court oh my gosh speaking of balls is that time again it's time for a curveball love it so michelle Mm -hmm. when was the last time you laughed out loud and why oh i'm laughing all the time helen i feel like i'm laughing in this um conversation (laughs) at least i was the reason for your laugh out loud (laughs) yeah that's a good thing that's amazing you bring laughter to people's life (laughs) <laughs> I feel like if we don't laugh at least once in a day, we've wasted that. Whole oh, day. that's that's powerful. I like that. And it just helps keep the wrinkles at bay. <laughs> now let's keep moving forward. How do you start the process on becoming more conscious? Okay, so I'm a parent, and I'm like, oh wow, I've uh, done a few things that <laughs> are pretty unconscious. Where where would I start? What do I do? Oh, great question. Because it could go in so many different directions, can't it? But I like to be, I like to start simply. And that is mm-hmm. just by setting an intention. So you can do a little exercise where you close your eyes 
and you can imagine your child as a 30 year old adult and you ask what qualities do they have what values do they hold what kind of person are they and when i did this exercise myself it blew my mind because (laughs) what a great tactic it's hard It's really tricky because it really reveals our own expectations and brings that to the forefront. And and that within itself can be really powerful activity. The next part of it is that knowing that our children learn most through modeling. So the next question to ask yourself is how can I model those values today? How can I start showing up in my life in these ways today? And is, is there anywhere in my life that I'm not showing up in this way? And that was completely eye-opening for, for me when I was doing that exercise. It sounds so simple. I reckon this is such a big gold nugget for our listeners today. That's amazing. Wow. It's like eating, um, like when you're trying to tell your child not to eat a donut and then you're eating a donut in front of them. Absolutely. Let's talk about discipline for a little bit. Disciplining children. How do you go about it? Is there a protocol? Is there steps we should follow? Or is there things that we just should not do is a smack on the bum bad should we take things away what do we do oh love this one okay so i had a very interesting conversation with my mum last week when she was watching my kids and she said to me the problem with you michelle is that you don't discipline your children <laughs> Oof, got me right in the gut um <laughs> so discipline let's look at that word a little bit more deeply discipline in the traditional sense is really treated as a verb and it implies that we do something to our children to get them to be a certain way or to behave a certain way what's so interesting about this is that we want to teach our children to engage in quote-unquote proper behavior or to develop self-discipline and ironically we just what we end up doing is we use methods of manipulation and control and it's disguised as a parenting strategy for doing that and I think a really good place to start when it comes to disciplining is really just getting lopping off that term and getting rid of it and really looking at it instead of how we can set boundaries and limits for our children, right? So we have to understand ourselves that what's developmentally appropriate at the age that they are is a big force behind what's going on and why they may be behaving in a certain way. You know, our brains don't finish developing until we're well into adulthood. And so our children are not at all masters of their impulse control, just as we as adults know that it's really difficult sometimes for us to control ourselves in certain ways, in certain situations. So as I said, I much prefer the term boundaries with explanation, as we were chatting about earlier. I think there is a misconception out there that a lack of of us powering over our children, a lack of us strong arming over our children means that we're being permissive as parents, which we know if we are too permissive in the long term can result in entitled and really difficult humans to deal with. <laughs> My dad was strict and his dad was even more strict. And I always say we should have parent coaches. This is why I asked when this became a thing because mm-hmm. since my friends started having kids it was like 
they needed some sort of coaching and guidance because all they listened to is say the nurses at the hospital and what mm. their parents did and right. maybe not best for our growth Mm-hmm. especially when it comes to discipline. I mean, we had lots of strong arming and we had lots of control. We had lots of that, but that's just what we thought was normal. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like studying parenting because when I become one, I, I want to make sure that I don't do the things that I wish I had, like I didn't that happened to you. have. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I think that's a common feeling when I'm chatting with other parents, you know, in a, kind of a casual conversation it's it's this very same conversation that is always come coming up and that doesn't mean that you know our parents were bad people for parenting us in a certain way they just did what they knew at the end of the day yeah absolutely and in that way we just do what we know and that's why sometimes when we get triggered in really challenging situations we see the patterns that happen in our childhood happen through us Mm. that can be a real (laughs) eye-opener and to to answer your question from before about what what can we do instead is really um instead of disciplining is setting those boundaries and creating limits within where our kids can express themselves and i think that's one of the things that was missing from my childhood and i think many childhoods Mm -hmm. is the ability to or the safe space for which we could express our true emotions whether that be sadness or anger or frustration, whatever, whatever that is. You know, as parents now, what we can do is really meet those challenging situations and see them as what they are. See them as an opportunity for connection. And concrete things that we can do is really pay attention, have a look at what's going on around that situation. Did your child have a really big day yesterday? Are they feeling sick? Were you on the phone for 20 minutes while they were trying to get your attention and they wanted to play with you before this, this what we deem a challenging behaviour occurred? And then, you know, behaviour is like an iceberg. It's on the top, above the water surface. We see the behaviour as that door slamming or that hitting or that biting. And that, but there is just so much beneath the surface of the water. There is so much previous conditioning. There are those limiting beliefs or beliefs that they have about themselves, our children, which they form at a very young age, beliefs that they have about the world or about us, which they get from us. I think another useful thing, tool that we can use is really looking at needs versus wants. If you don't mind, I'd like to give a little example of needs versus wants. Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> yes, I see this one happen. It happens to me too. When I go to the grocery shop and I'm pushing my child in my trolley and they say, oh, mommy, can I have a special treat? Can I have a lolly? And it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I think, no, I really don't want you to have a lolly right now. (laughs) And we may say, no, it's not time for lollies now. You can have a lolly at lunchtime or after your lunch or whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And then our child may throw a big whopping tantrum, scream, throw things try and jump out of the trolley, try and flop on the floor, so on and so forth, right? What's happening there in that situation, if we can dissect it a little bit, is that our child, they have a want. Their want is to have that lolly right now. And their want is not being met because we have said no. But what are their needs in this situation? Their need right now is to hold a safe container for them to express their, their feelings. Their need right now is for us to help give them the tools and help them navigate through this tough moment and come out the other side of it. The only way out is through. I'm sure you've seen that online. Yeah. Think some really concrete things we can do in that moment is really 
gives them empathy, really step into their shoes and try and imagine what's happening from their perspective right now. End of the world right now. It's the whole world. We have that same feeling when we want a coffee, for example, or we want (laughs) want a glass of wine or something, you know? And the other key is that we can really give ourselves self-empathy because sometimes it's really bloody hard when you're in a shopping center and you've got a hundred eyes on you and your child is chucking a tantrum as what, as what our parents may have called it before, chucking a tantrum. We, we have to give ourselves a little grace to navigate through that. What's something that you say to your son, for example, if he wants a lolly at 10 in the morning? Oh, this happened yesterday. So <laughs> <laughs> we could say, I'm sorry, we can't have a lolly right now because remember we talked about in our family, it's important to us to be healthy and to grow and having a lolly at 10 o'clock doesn't really help us grow. Then we can cue the tears and the crying Mm -hmm. and I can say, I can see that you're feeling really sad right now and you're feeling frustrated because you want a lolly and mommy has said no. I get upset sometimes when some people say no to me about things that I really want and we can explore a solution together so we can say something like really in this example there's only one solution that I have which is I expect him not to eat that lolly I expect him to have something else right but I can offer two solutions so I can say something like well let's make a choice let's let's problem solve this together could we have your favorite fruit instead right now or maybe we can have some really yummy cold yogurt Mm, that's a good idea something like that I read recently, or I heard recently, I was at this seminar and there was lots of parenting advice. Don't ask your children a yes or no answer. Give them two options mm-hmm. so that they can make that choice of either this one or that one. But if you're going to ask your child a question with a yes or no answer, then you're going to have to expect the yes or no answer. Yeah, and when they say the yes or no, you've got to follow through with that because that's how they learn to trust us. Yeah. Is there a big no-no when it comes to discipline? Is there something we should just definitely not do? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We should, we should not shame our children. And I think shame is one of those things that can get very deeply embedded. What's an example of shaming your child? Stop crying. Crying is for babies. Be a big boy and grow up is an example of shaming. I feel very strongly when I hear words like this. It just broke my heart when you said that because I've heard it so many times. Stop crying. Yeah, it's hard. Because in that moment, what's happening is there's something happening in the dynamics of that moment that is making us feel, that is reminding us of a situation in our childhood. Mm-hmm. And that is bringing up really big feelings in us. And when those big feelings come up, that's when the ego appears. That's when that fear appears. We start assigning a meaning to that challenging behavior that we're seeing. We then start to have this intense need to try and control it. And that's when we start saying things that we don't really want to say. And then the guilt comes after. Oh, yeah. Massive. The guilt and our own shame around that. Guilt is a healthy emotion, right? It helps us. It's a compass for us. It helps us realize that we need to get back on track again. But shame, that's deeply embedded. And we know that the reason why this is a no-no for for me and why I believe it's a no-no is because what we say to our children matters, Mm -hmm. right? The words that we say to our children now get embedded in their subconscious. They take on those words themselves. Those words become the words that they say to themselves when they get older. Okay, so let's say uh, you have 
shamed your child mm-hmm. uh, before, previously, maybe still happening. Mm-hmm. What is something that you can pass on as a tool or a tactic or like a go-to for parents that are listening now that are, maybe didn't even realise that they were shaming their child? Oh, that's a great question. When you feel a situation coming on, I think it's self-awareness is key. When you feel that a situation's about to go south, what we can do is really be present in that moment. Be mindful in that moment as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Recognize when you yourself, the parent, are starting to get triggered. Maybe you're feeling feelings of frustration or irritation. Take a break from that scenario. If that's really stressing you out, take a break away from it because that's in the long run going to be what helps you identify that and be able to step back and, and become more self-aware. Then start to look at, do a bit of detective work. Try and understand why is this triggering me right now? What am I feeling and why is this triggering me? What happened in my childhood that reminds me of this? What egoic fears are coming up for me? What limiting beliefs am I holding about myself, about my child, about my parenting? Think about behaviours being icebergs and what may be lurking underneath the surface with that. The other thing I would say is have some forgiveness for yourself. If you find yourself saying and and shaming your child it's okay it's i mean it's not okay but it's okay in the sense that we can go back and use that rupture and repair model we can be open to our children we can model apologizing we can show our children that hey sometimes people are going to say really harsh things to you and this is the way or, or you might find yourself saying harsh things to your friends and this is the way that we can work through them Yeah, so good. Parents, never fear. You can always keep learning and growing with your child. It's like they are sometimes your child is giving you the gift that you need to grow as a person. Absolutely. Oh, it's time for another curveball, your last curveball of the day. Are you ready to play? So ready. (laughs) What I love, random acts of kindness. I'm a random act of kindness girl. I would like to know what your last random act of kindness was and who was it for? It was an anonymous donation to somebody who was in need um, after the fires. And, yeah, sometimes I think people don't really need to know where, where it comes from. So nice. That's why I love random acts of kindness. Yes, I absolutely love them and I think they have a beautiful ripple effect as well. Now, I saw you mention raising children free from yelling, punishment and bribes. <laughs> I, for one, know that my friends use each of these, yelling, punishment and bribes. Yeah. Why does this begin? What should have happened in each instance? Great question. <laughs> Such a delicate issue, really. Um, in my work, I really do my best to create a safe space for my clients and a real shame-free zone because, you know, we're internalizing shame from our childhood and we can be our harshest critics. We can be hard on ourselves when we start to have the realization that um, we can do things in a different way. Everything is stemmed from our childhood. There are lots of things playing into it. There's probably some ancestral patterns happening as well, things that we're not even aware of, things that happen on an energetic level. I mean, within our realm of control and things that we can reflect on, it's really powerful to, to start there when you're going deeper, but you can definitely go keep going deeper, right? <laughs> keep peeling back those layers of the onion. Mm. I think that sometimes, oh, why does it begin? It's, 
it's really us feeling that lack of control and us trying to re-establish that control. It's those egoic fears coming up again. Fears, guys, that's what, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it's an opportunity for us to really, to really work through our conditioning. There's a question that I like to reflect on sometimes when I'm, I'm thinking about why we use these tactics, right? And I think there's a question we can ask, which is to consider what kind of outcome are we trying to achieve in the long run? Is it that we want our children to listen to us at all costs? Is it that we believe that they're our, they're our toy to mould? Do we want them to follow our every command? You know, I hear a lot of parents say that they want their children to grow up to be resilient or they want them to grow up to be independent or well-adjusted or, or caring or compassionate or be empowered people. Mm-hmm. And yet the way that we deal with things that are challenging isn't really modelling that. When I find myself in old paradigms of thinking or using some old approaches these default approaches that I fall back on I realize that that's a time that my needs are probably not getting met so that's when that self-care is really crucial to this journey and there's a lot of there's a lot about self-care that we can tap into it's huge (laughs) but really I believe that self-care is really just about getting our needs met and it doesn't have to look a certain way what do you think about bribes? Oh, like bribing a child with an iPad or a phone. So that okay. So generally speaking, as a long-term practice, bribes are us using an external measure to get our children to act a certain way. And what ends up happening with that is our children then get used to looking outside of themselves for the answers for things all the time or looking outside of themselves for ways to motivate themselves. And we know that in the long term that that's not going to be effective and there may be an over-reliance on the iPad. And yet um, I do want to say too that, you know, please don't beat yourselves up over using technology and iPads because we live in a world now where technology can really serve us and really work for us as well. And it's really about being intentional in how we use it. And we can use technology. We can use it as a tool for connection. I think a lot of the time we do end up using myself included saying, Oh, I really just need to get this thing done right now. Can you just sit down and watch the iPad for five minutes? Right. And yet, you know, sometimes things like that have to happen, right. To work through the logistics of the day. Then we go off and go back to them afterwards and say, okay, time to get off the iPad now and rip the iPad away. And that's where we see a lot of those big meltdowns happen. And really what we could do in an instance like that is, accept our children's invitation to step into their world, show some interest in what they're watching or what they're playing, use it as a tool for connection, use it as a tool for conversation. And um, I think we got a little bit off track here because we were trying to talk about bribes. My little niece bribes me into watching her shows, which I just... (laughs) Clever negotiation. (laughs) And I sit there and I'm watching these pink... (laughs) Cinderella type characters on TV she loves it and it is it's just that time of connection you know she'll call me um, every so often on my phone just to on Facebook messenger because there's little faces and we play faces for a while oh. and we just put filters on our face you play filters it's so cute <laughs> and I'll sit there for 10 minutes we play filters we've connected <laughs> that's literally all we do we play filters and then I'm like okay bye she's like bye I love that you know there'll be a time when when she'll look back and say I remember playing filters with my auntie that was so fun 
<laughs> yeah, I've got photos. I've got photos. All right. Oh, there's so much more I want to talk about, but we're going to come to a close. I want to ask you some questions that a few of my clients and part of the whole crew have asked. And one common one that I got was about anxiety. How do you help or deal with anxiety in primary school aged children? It sounds like there's an epidemic going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we do. We live in a world, a noisy world, where there's just social media, there's screens, there's media, there's images showing us or telling us that we are not enough and we are really relying on our external world to validate ourselves. For example, as we were talking about with the bribes before. And anxiety can be really challenging for adults, let alone children. I do want to bring up that this is an opportunity for us to honor that anxiety is actually a normal human response and it protects us from, from danger, right? But when it becomes, begins to impact our ability to function in our everyday life and we need those extra tools, then that's when we may need to seek extra help. As a general strategy or approach that I like to use at home is really to look at the root of the cause. What is really happening? And that's, and that's where those moments of connection through play are really useful for us to gain insight into what's going on in our children's mind. And at primary age, they can come up with some real whoppers. <laughs> when does anxiety start in a child? How, what do we look for? What are the symptoms or the signs that we um, or parents can look at how old? <laughs> when does anxiety start? How, when can it start? I think that, honestly, Helen, I think it starts by looking at ourselves. We, we have to look at how we're showing up in our everyday life. Are we, are we showing up? Are we modelling that, those anxious feelings and thoughts for our children? It's that self-awareness. What I would say is we have to, I mean, this is an opportunity, not we have to, this is an opportunity for us to recognise our own fears and our own anxieties around what's going on. And that can give us clues on why our children may be feeling so anxious about certain things. It, it really starts from very, very young when they can pick up on our energetic imprint, right? And what I will say about what we can do to help our children is just help them accept that feeling and go deep in the feeling. And that's going to be bloody uncomfortable for the parents sometimes, mm -hmm. right? Because we may not be experts in doing that. We may find that really hard. And when we see our kids struggling, that's when our fears come up. Yeah. That's when our yeah. ego roars. That's when we feel powerless and we really feel like we need to do something to our children rather than accepting that moment as what it is, accepting our children for who they are and meeting them in that moment. And common things that I see parents try to do is one, we either feel the urge to bulldoze those challenges out of the way so that we don't see these anxieties come up. We say, Oh, that's stressing you out. Let me fix it for you. Oh, that teacher's been doing something that's making you feel uncomfortable. I'm going to go talk to the teacher. That kid's making you feel uncomfortable. I'm going to go talk to that kid's parents. Right. But these, these challenges for our children are actually opportunities in which they can build their resilience. And so that's something to be aware of. I think the second thing that I see parents doing when our kids are, uh, we see our kids feeling anxious is that we get triggered by it and we react to it by shaming it. And so we did, we talked about that earlier in our conversation, things like stopped act, stop acting like a drama queen, big boys don't cry. You know, that's, that can go down a really dangerous path. 
being frustrated and showing anger isn't really the right way to go about things. It's what I like to say that showing anger, what I like to say to our children is that being angry, or sorry, I shouldn't say being, I should say feeling, feeling angry or feeling sad is okay in and of itself. But it's not okay to be hitting other people. It's not okay to be saying hurtful words to other people. And that comes out most through our modeling, right? Mm. And I think if I can give an example on this just really quickly, it would be like we see our children get really anxious because we want them to go to a birthday party, say, mm-hmm. and we're saying, quick, put your clothes on, put your clothes on, we got to go, we got to go. And they're feeling really um, stressed out by it. And we get really triggered by that. And, you know, that may be when those words come flying out that we, we don't want to say. But what we can say in those moments is give that empathy. I see that, that you are feeling anxious about this. I see that you're feeling really worried about this. I get worried sometimes too. I know how that feels or, you know, sometimes things worry me as well. I get it. And if you're in a state of overwhelm, is it just smarter to just walk away from the situation, take a few breaths, calm down and then come back? I think that it's a fine line because through our actions, the third point I was going to mention before is how when parents react to that anxiety is that we sometimes ignore it. We say, stop crying, go away. That just teaches our children that when you have a big feeling, you need to deal with it on your, on your own. And when you have a big feeling, no one's there for you and we don't like you. We don't want to be around you. So, I mean, by all means, if you think that in that moment you are going to have a complete meltdown, it's going to get absolutely crazy, yes, step away from that, collect your thoughts, take a deep breath, bring in that mindfulness practice, and then come back to that situation. And also... I do want to say, depending on our children's age, sometimes it's a bit too much to be saying all those words that I was sharing with you before. Sometimes it is better to let that situation play out and come back to it later when things are calmer. We can be in a headspace where we can really talk about things. What are some things that we can do to help raise emotionally intelligent children? Great. So I have a colleague of mine, her name's Steph Pinto, and we, ha- we did a really great episode about raising emotional intelligence for ourselves and for our children. What she shared with me was really about being an emotion coach for your children. So it really starts with us raising our own emotional intelligence. And a really great resource that I would suggest starting at is to check out a book by Dr. John Gottman called Raising an Emotionally Intelligent Child. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, guys. Absolutely. And in terms of some concrete things that we can do today, I would say recognize those big feelings as opportunities to connect and and for our children to grow. And either in that moment or after, help your child label the emotions they were feeling when they were going through that, that challenging moment. And then set those limits and really problem solve with them. So as we were saying before, it's okay to be upset, but I won't let you hit me. And then give them that space and that container to to feel their feelings and for ride the wave, ride the wave, let the feelings wash over them, empathize and just provide that space for them to feel their feelings. And then we can give them tools when things are a bit calmer to really problem solve through it together. Wow. Thank you so much, Michelle. This was (laughs) so much. I feel like I need to listen to this a few times so that I can get everything that we spoke about. Thank you. But I want to end the episode with 
a little random act of kindness. I love that you spent time with us today. So I would like to give back to you somehow. So how can me and my listeners get that smile on your dial? Oh, that's a good question. How can we make you happier? Oh, I would love if you could just go out today and and do one random act of kindness for someone else. That would make my heart so happy. Oh, that's so good. And how can people get in touch with you if they do want any parent coaching, advice, tips, just want to talk to you? I'm most active over on Instagram. So my handle is at michelle.diasinos and it's the same on Facebook. Uh, Or you can head over to my website as well and check out michelle.diasinos.com. Awesome. I'll put all of those links up for you guys. I hope that you loved this episode as much as I loved giving you guys this episode. I want to be a parent. Oh, that's beautiful, Helen. I can't wait. I can't wait to have these conversations with you (laughs) even more. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I really enjoyed chatting with you today. Ditto. How cool was that episode? How amazing is Michelle? Guys, I hope you got some value out of today's episode. Remember to please subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening from because it really helps me push this show along. Until next time, keep in mind, heartbreak does happen. Health issues do arise, but your success doesn't ever need to be compromised. Bye for now. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 